Hello, my name is Justin LeClue, and I'm here today with... Will Sloan. And you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. And we're coming here live with breaking news from a few days ago. Yes, the, like, we're just getting it through the wires. Uh, my here... <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, I'm just reading the Morse code here. Uh, this might take this might take 30 or 40 minutes. Um, so your hero... Uh, my hero, your hero, I assume the hero of everybody listening to this podcast, Mr. Jack Chan. His name is not Jack Chan. <laughs> Jackie Chan uh, will become, I, I believe, uh, only the third or fourth Asian man to win a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, getting an honorary Oscar for his unparalleled body of work, such smash hit films as Drunken Master, Around the World in 80 Days, Shanghai Night, The Spy Next Door, The Superior of the Shanghai Films. I, I mean, they're both good. <laughs> In different ways, yeah. right? But we're not here to talk about Jackie Chan. No. Although we, we, we I, will I am talk so, about him. We will eventually get to, we're saving that one because like, we're going to knock that episode so out of the park <laughs> that we want to space it out. <laughs> And you build up anticipation a little bit. Yeah. But we're actually going to talk about a martial artist, actor, um, choreographer, director, who I think is more talented than Jackie Chan. And not only that, but he uh, grew up with Jackie Chan. Mm -hmm. They were um, brothers from another mother at the uh, Peking Opera School. And um, this person's name is Sammo Hung, who you may know from martial law. Does yeah. anybody remember that TV show? TV's Martial Law, his uh, smash hit. Uh, two seasons. Yeah, it ran for two seasons. Kind of a Walker, Texas Ranger ripoff. They crossed over with Walker, Texas Ranger. I know. That's why I said that. There are some great clips online of Sammo and Chuck Norris exchanging some uh, chuckles on the set. Uh, yeah, Martial Law was this. Um, uh, right after Rush Hour became a big hit, they were going to bring Sammo Hung and have him be a big star in America. And they paired him with Arsenio Hall. I've never... I don't know if I've ever actually seen Martial Law. Have you? Uh, yeah, it's fine. Like, it definitely doesn't capture the glory days of Hong Kong cinema by any stretch of the imagination. Even though some uh, episodes are directed by visionary Stanley Tong. Ah, Mr. Magoo himself. <laughs> hey, come on. Police Story 3. Yeah. And Stone Age Warriors. Mm-hmm. So Sam Hung grew up with Jackie Chan. Um, him and a bunch of other people, including Yung Bao and Yun Hua, uh, formed a group at the Peking Opera School called The Seven Little Fortunes. And they basically became like the backbone of the Hong Kong action filmmaking industry in the 80s and 90s. And what I found really surprising is reading the classic biography, I Am Jackie Chan. Great book. Uh, written I, by Jackie Chan. Yeah, written entirely by Jackie Chan. <laughs> Wink! Um, is that Sammo Hung and him did not get along when they were in the Peking Opera School. First of all, I want to give a little context for what the Peking Opera School was. It, basically, Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung and their colleagues were sold to the opera school by their parents, who were all poor, basically in indentured servitude. And they had this very stern master, master, I forget his name, who, like, basically from six in the morning to ten o'clock at night, they had to do just nonstop acrobatics and exercises and horrible backbreaking labor. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, he was a very strict, stern task taskmaster who would beat them up uh, this is all documented in a movie that Samuel Hong stars in and produced called Painted Faces mm-hmm. and when other people saw the film which is brutal which is just children being kind of tortured for 90 <laughs> minutes they said that was much softer than what they remember as kids <laughs> and so you know you wonder you look at the Hong Kong film industry in the 80s and you think how is it possible that people were able to do this well it's because like these kids spent a decade just being tortured 
Uh, and they didn't even learn how to read in this school. Like, Jackie Chan to this day is apparently functionally illiterate. It's insane how many people, though, from that group went on to define martial arts cinema in Hong Kong as we know it. Mm-hmm. The group also includes uh, Corey Yun, who would go on to choreograph stuff like The Transporter and dozens of martial arts mm-hmm. pictures. He was also a Peking Opera school graduate. Supposedly, Samo and Jackie didn't get along. Samo was a bully at school because he was the big brother Mm -hmm. of everybody else and finally when they graduated and they went upon their own ways Samuel got right into the film industry Mm -hmm. like from the get go I think he was about 16 years old and he just went from there at some point he met Jackie Chan again and said listen I'm going to take you on to the stuntman we're going to work together Mm -hmm. and history was made from there as a stuntman in the Hong Kong film industry you know Jackie Chan's uh, creation myth is pretty much set in stone at this point. He toiled as a stuntman for a long time. They tried to cast him as the next Bruce Lee. In the low-way pictures. But eventually, there was a decisive moment when he became a big star with Snake and the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master. And he became a big star because he subverted the conventions of the genre. He did comedy kung fu. Sammo Hung doesn't have quite as clearly defined an origin story. He was basically somebody who worked his way up through the ranks. And he worked with all sorts of people, whether it be the director of Five Fingers of Death on films like Hapkido or Lady Whirlwind, or with King Hu. He actually choreographed the action in A Touch of Zen. And uh, Western audiences will be very familiar for the fact that he's in the opening scene of Enter the Dragon fighting Bruce Lee. Sammo actually choreographed the action in the Bruce Lee free portions of Game of Death. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Sammo worked a lot at Golden Harvest, which was, along with Shaw Brothers, was one of the two main producers of martial arts movies in Hong Kong. Uh, Because Sammo is a very overweight man, that was kind of his... his, Shtick. That's his shtick. He's this, this big fat guy who does amazing kung fu. But because he was overweight, he sort of worked his way up into the ranks being a villain in movies before eventually he started starring in his own movies. We watched, I think, the first starring vehicle of his that he directed. Mm, I think it may be that. I'm not sure. I think there may be one before, but it's the one that's the most defined, which is Enter the Fat Dragon. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing about Sammo Hung. He will constantly be called fatty on screen. Like, that is his nickname in every single film. And he, he really wears it with pride. He's not like Steven Seagal, where he's wearing big flowing robes and having tricky camera angles to hide it. Like, he's a, he's a fat guy who, you know, could kick your ass. Yeah, and there's a thing where Jackie Chan, for years, would be like, I do all my own stunts. Let's dispel that myth now. He did not. Even in films like Project A, he was doubled. Or in films like Dragons Forever, um, the stuntman Ching Karlok did, like, some of the big moves for him. Mm. Sammo... especially early in his career, had to do all of his own stunts because he had a very specific body type Mm -hmm. that no one else could um, recreate. And Sammo can do anything. He can do weapons. He can do just fistfights. He can do acrobatics. And he does them all on screen. Enter the Fat Dragon is not a good movie. No, I was disappointed on this viewing. I mean, you know, I had a good time with it. I had fonder memories of it. Like a lot of Hong Kong pictures, which is something that you learn very quickly when you watch a lot of them, is that they're really made up on the fly. And that's, like, literally true. Most of them were sh- are shot without a script. Mm-hmm. They kind of, um, they first figure out, like, five major action scenes that'll be in the movie, and sometimes they'll start shooting a movie, they'll have a bit of a script, but they won't have all the financing in place. And after they shoot like 20 minutes, they'll get more financing. And so as a result, a movie like Enter the Fat Dragon, which 
is an incredibly low budget film. It's pretty it's pretty cheap looking and I would say the first hour of this 95 minute movie is very nothing happens. Very meandering, but it's got a, a certain charm. In it Samo plays a uh, obsessive Bruce Lee fan, somebody who wants to wants to follow in the little dragon's footsteps. And the movie itself is kind of a pastiche of Bruce Lee's style, it's sort of a, a a parody of Bruce Lee's films. It kind of has a similar plot to Way of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. Especially in the way that it takes a long time for the main character to actually start fighting. Yeah, and there are endless boring stretches. <laughs> there was one really funny gag where he gets the Bruce Lee style glasses and he tells the shop teller, like, do I look like him? Pointing to a photo of Bruce Lee with sunglasses. But the shop teller confuses it with a pig with glasses. I, which I guess the geography of the scene is not really very well established, but I think the picture of the pig was above the picture of Bruce Lee. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So that just shows that Samo is not one that's afraid to make fun of his image. Yes, and and not one for subtlety necessarily. <laughs> but uh, there are some good moments in this movie. Uh, so yeah, the plot. As Who cares? It, but as in Way of the Dragon, it's kind of uh, Samo Hung as a country bumpkin who comes to the big city to help his uncle with his fast food restaurant, and they run afoul of gangs. But. I'm making it sound more coherent than it is. <laughs> uh, suddenly at the hour mark, we're introduced to this damsel in distress that gets captured, and then Samo gets inadvertently involved and has to save her. But first, he gets to stop by the set of a Bruce Bloitation movie. Yeah, this is the one scene of this movie that's really good. Um, some people may not know, but after Bruce Lee died, because he was the most easily exportable martial arts star, uh, many unscrupulous fly-by-night producers made movies that were basically Bruce Lee knockoff films, and they had people like Bruce Lai, Bruce, uh, Bruce Lay, Bruce Lay, Dragon Lee, Bronson Lee was one of them, um, and I mean, these movies, like they were made by the dozen. Uh, Enter the Game of Death was one of them. Uh, let's uh, not forget Bruce Lee rises from the grave. Yeah, well, Bruce Lee fights back from the grave was kind of a generic uh, Korean martial arts movie that Terry Levine of Aquarius releasing just filmed a new scene of Bruce Lee popping up from the grave, <laughs> stuck it at the beginning. But it has an amazing poster! It has a great poster. Which it, is Bruce Lee painted punching out of a gravestone. I have that poster in my bathroom. At yeah, home. I have yeah. it in one of my closets, too. <laughs> yeah. But in the movie, it's just some dude just pops out of an already dug grave and, then, and runs off. And then the rest of the movie has nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, in Enter the Fat Dragon... Um, Samo Hung goes to the set of this movie and there's this really arrogant Bruce Lee impersonator on the set uh, and Samo beats everyone up and says you are not Bruce Lee and it's awesome and it's a, a really powerful passing of the torch moment, I would say. Well, uh, Samuel said that he and Bruce Lee were not really friends, but they were acquaintances, and they did work on a bunch of stuff. And they had mutual respect. Exactly. So you can see the kind of kernels of what would become Samuel Hung style in this film, especially in its lengthy climax, where Samuel fights three goons, each with their different skill, one of them being a ch- Chinese martial artist played by Beardy, the uh, famous martial arts um, mm-hmm. action star. One of them, a boxer, which Samuel really loved to tackle a lot using the European kind of fighting style. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a man in blackface. Yes, we're sorry to report that. <laughs> um, and in these fights, which are good, I don't know if I'd call them great, something that I noticed is that Samuel loves to be just pummeled and <laughs> that those pummelings appear on his face like bruises bleeding like it hurts to fight in a Sam Hong yeah movie. yeah his characters like they sweat they bleed mm-hmm. um and I think 
if there's anything that really differentiates Samo from Jackie, it's the fact that Jackie Chan's action is kind of, it's very comical, it's very balletic. I mean, Samo's action can be very balletic too, but like, you feel the bone crunches. Yeah, the pain is very important in a Samo Hung film. Kind of like the avoidance of pain in a Jackie Chan movie. You're like, oh my god, he did this stunt, or he did this. In a Samo Hung, it's all about that real impact. And some of his movies, like, because of that real impact, and because there's like a relentlessness to the fight scenes, like, a Sammo Hung movie like Warriors 2, like the last 30 minutes of that movie, not only is it like just nonstop fighting, but it's nonstop painful fighting. And as you're watching it, like you almost start to sweat, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, it's like a visceral reaction to what's going on. But what's funny about that too is like, not only is it painful and not only is it violent, but it's also funny. Yes. Like he's a master of you know, doing comedy kung fu movies that are also really brutal. And he did a lot of them in his career. Like, once he got into his kind of directing um, groove, he made films like Knockabout, starring Yung Bao. Great film. Uh, he, Like you mentioned, The Warriors 2, um, Magnificent Butcher, mm-hmm. and, you know, too many to name. The early Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung films, I think, really kind of inform each other. Um Jackie Chan is often credited with pioneering the comedy kung fu subgenre. I mean, as with anything, it's not quite true. Uh, before Drunken Master, Sammo had The Iron Fisted Monk, which mm-hmm. is kind of a comedy kung fu movie. I mean, Jackie Chan with Drunken Master really popularized the form. And then Drunken Master inspired Sammo Hung's um, Magnificent Butcher, which is kind of, which like Drunken Master is a comical take on Chinese folklore. It's literally the same kind of story because in Drunken Master, it's Wang Fei Hung, and in uh, Magnificent Butcher, it's one of Wang Fei Hung's students played by Sammo. And Knockabout is very similar to, uh, to Drunken Master as well. But then, you know, of course, they evolved in the 80s. Uh, Eventually, they were going to come together on film, Jackie, Sammo, and their Chinese opera mate, Yun Biao. I love Yun Biao. He's one of the most underrated martial arts performers, I think, in like the top tier kind of guys. And he's always been trailing behind Sammo and Jackie. Sammo, Jackie, and Yun Biao uh, formed... They appeared as a threesome, basically, in a bunch of movies in the 80s. They were called the Three Dragons. Uh, They first appeared in Project A together, which is really a Jackie Chan film Mm -hmm. with the two of them in supporting roles. One of the best Jackie Chan films. Principally because I think the guiding hand of Sammo Hung gives the film structure that is kind of missing in uh, Project A2, which Jackie Chan directed solo, which is has real big highs, but it's kind of formless in the way a lot of Chan films are. But I also think that Project A is a real melding of the sensibilities, too, because uh, as in the other Jackie Chan movies, it's a very kind of like upbeat action movie with lots of like... Uh, ac- I mean, it's, it's the movie that kind of defined Jackie Chan's 80s style, where it became less about the kung fu and more about the kind of big set pieces and the stunts. After that, they had a few other collaborations, but not the big blockbuster ones you would expect, um, which include Wheels on Meals. It's one of my favorite um, of their collaborations because it supplants them in a European setting, Mm -hmm. which is kind of fun because it gives a different texture than their other movies. And then there's Dragons Forever, where that's the one that people usually mention the most, but I watched recently and it didn't really do too much for me. Oh, it's been a while since I've seen it. I have have good memories of it, but I mean, as always with these sorts of movies, you tend to remember the high points. And (coughs) Jackie and Sammo would continue to kind of work together in the um, Lucky Stars films. Okay, this is the thing about Sammo Hung as a director... Uh, It's hard to wrap your head around him because there's just so much to his filmography. It's very multifaceted. I mean, you can look at the... uh, 
I mean, if you want to look at him as a fight choreographer, he, he nowadays he does fight choreography for movies like Ip Man and The Monkey King 2. Oof. Uh, movies that he's not even in. He's just a very in-demand choreographer. Uh, there are obviously the kind of like big blockbuster Sammo movies that people remember, like Eastern Condors. There are movies where he's like a romantic lead, like Paper Marriage. Uh, there's a drama like Painted Faces. There are these... Co- comedy kung fu horror movies like spooky encounters yeah samuel's actually the one who kind of popularized the genre by producing mr vampire and then starring in encounters of the spooky kind and then there are movies like the lucky stars series and uh oh boy uh, yeah I, I don't like those very much but they're kind of of a of a form let's call it the chinese new year genre mm-hmm. uh that's kind of like the summer season for hollywood movies yeah and movies that are popular at that time are these kind of like star-packed uh really broad slapstick comedies with you know some romance and some action big big kind of like brainless commercial stuff the lucky star series had sammo and a, a gang of four or five like uh, funny-faced uh, can- sexual molesters yes yeah, cantonese character actors and it's just like non-stop jokes that are problematic now <laughs> very problematic and like maybe 10 minutes of great action at the end but man is that action great uh-huh. like there's this one where uh, jackie chan wearing a rainbow colored jumper gets into a haunted house somehow and has to fight a bunch of people coming at uh, him from all angles how about the one where jackie chan is on like a what is it he's in rollerblades and he rollerblades under a moving truck <laughs> yeah like amazing this is the kind of choice you have to make when you watch hong kong films is there's going to be a lot of filler in the stuff that you watch with some gold sometimes at the end sometimes in the middle you just never know you got to roll the dice the other thing uh about samo is his films are uh, a bit problematic Mm -hmm. uh especially when you get later in his filmography uh there's a movie uh, that he made in 1995 called Don't Give a Damn, which was basically the last true Sammo film until this year. The last one that he wrote, acted in, directed, the whole gang. And they It ha- was supposed to be a return to form of Jung Bao, Sammo, and Jackie Chan. But Jackie dropped out. Mm-hmm. It has a big blackface scene in the middle. <laughs> a big blackface <laughs> scene where it's not just... It's not just blackface. It's like the worst blackface scene you've ever seen. Where- and they confuse other people that they're actually black yeah uh yun biao and takeshi kanashiro walk into the scene in blackface they start like they walk in this really stereotypical way and they start saying things like darkies are responsible for however however many crimes in the united states like just awful things (laughs) and how could we forget something like pantyhose hero oh i love pantyhose hero (laughs) where sammo um (laughs) in the weirdest perm that ever to be seen on screen goes undercover as a homosexual man to catch a homosexual killer. I'm hard-pressed to think of a movie that has higher highs and lower lows than Pantyhose Hero. Pantyhose Hero is the kung fu remake of Cruising. I swear to God, that's what it is. It's actually a remake of another comedic oh, version. You're right. It's a, it's the Ryan O'Neill comedy, which, but it's basically the same story as Cruising. <laughs> exactly. And uh, there are a lot of scenes. Basically, the whole joke is just Sammo Hung and Alan Tam are these two macho guys who have to pretend to be gay. And so there are nonstop scenes of them learning how to walk gay and like telling horrible AIDS jokes. <laughs> just, just, but the, the fu- action, the holy shit, the action in this movie is unbelievable, and it's super violent too. There's, there's a, a there's, chainsaw fight. Oh my god! And there's a scene where, well, either Sammo, maybe somebody, maybe a stunt double for Sammo, mm-hmm. but. Uh, nevertheless a real person gets hit by a moving car and he he like 
slams against the windshield and then flies 10 feet onto the road. It's that kind of stuff you can't see anywhere else in the world. It's just surrounded by these problems, if you will. Yeah. Uh, uh, but not all of Samo's movies are problematic. Uh, let's talk about Eastern Condors. So this was, Eastern Condors came from a period uh, in the mid-80s when Jackie Chan was having some massive success uh, with these kind of like globetrotting action movies. Jackie Chan was starting to make a big bid for, you know, other Asian markets, the European market. With stuff like Armor of God, his big Indiana Jones movie, and Golden Harvest, for a brief period, started letting Sammo have these kinds of budgets. So he decided to make this epic remake of The Dirty Dozen mm-hmm. um, that would be set during the Vietnam War. Or shortly after the Vietnam War, where uh, it's it's a Dirty Dozen-like team of Chinese prisoners who are recruited in a top-secret mission to go to Vietnam and find the nuclear weapons that the United States left there during the war. Watching uh, Eastern Condors this time, and I've seen this film dozens of times, <laughs> on the big screen, on the little screen. I remember when Fox started putting out Hong Kong movies on DVD. Do you remember that? I remember Where you well. go to HMV and buy, like... Um, Winners and Sinners and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, Operation Scorpio. Yeah. Um, that I watched this film so much that it basically melted the DVD player. <laughs> and on this viewing, I noticed that... The style that Samuel seems to be really adopting is a very controlled, almost John Carpenter-ish kind of framing in the way that he presents things. Interesting. I I mean, it reminded me a little bit of John Woo in in how Mm. kind of serious and how ultra-violent it is. I actually, I I was surprised watching it again this time. I'd forgotten how, like, kind of disturbingly violent it is at times. There are these, like, scenes of real mass slaughter in it. Uh, And I was surprised how not funny it is. It's a film that... In its original version, it had a lot of characters set up at the beginning. And if you watch the trailer, you can see all this goofy-ass comedy that at some point someone decided we're just going to cut these 30 minutes off Mm -hmm. and we're going to make a two-hour film, a 90-minute film, where it just starts, they go on their mission, they drop down into Vietnam, and they already start getting killed. And it is a bit jarring in those opening scenes. Mm -hmm. I I find that this is a movie that I kind of have to warm up to a little bit. But once the action starts, (coughs) it is so violent. Mm. (laughs) It's almost barely a kung fu movie until its final 10 minutes yeah it's more of like a jungle action picture but and it also i i mean uh it would be maybe disingenuous to say that it's a serious movie about war this is a film where sam hong uses a um leaf off a tree and somehow through the magic of slow motion launches it through the air to impale soldiers in the neck and kill them but at the same time it's a movie that has kind of like the courage of its convictions and the way that it's it depicts violence. Like, there are times when the violence is supposed to be unpleasant and you're not supposed to like it. Um, this is a film that also, we should mention it, um, co-star Samuel Hung's wife, um, Joyce... Godenzi. Who um, he's still married to this day, I believe. Yeah, I think it was a bit of a scandal in Hong Kong, too, because he uh, uh, divorced his first wife to uh, get with her, which I, I think was a bit of a no-no. <laughs> and while Samuel Hung's treatment of women in a lot of his movies is fairly problematic... Mm-hmm. He has always been one to kind of champion the um, um, the fighting femmes genre. Yeah, the girls with guns, if you will. Mm-hmm. And he actually directed, kind of ghost directed. Koryun um, is the credited one uh, film. She shoots straight, which stars his wife, who also co-stars in Eastern Condors. And if you want to get into the girls with guns genre, that's a perfect one to start with. Anyway, in this movie, she plays a Vietnamese rebel, mm-hmm. and she's badass. 
until she meets a brutal demise in the final moments of the movie. Yeah, um, which is which is cool too. Like, yes, you know. I mean, this film also stars Yung Bao um, sporting a ridiculous anime style haircut that falls <laughs> yeah. over one eye, <laughs> uh, and also. Uh, <laughs> Their Chinese opera brother Yuan Hua, one of the lesser known members of the Yuan clan, mm. uh, as the as the villain. It's the he he's this really weird villain. The rest of the movie is this kind of like um, rather sober, uh, ultra violent action movie, and then this guy is kind of like a weird James Bond villain, where he has this comical laugh where he goes, <laughs> and he's got a, a like a, a fan that he fans himself within a very in a very fey way. I mean, you just look at the final 10 minutes of this movie where they come upon a missile silo that they have to blow up, and it is a masterclass in action storytelling and just construction. Yeah. There's, like, camera moves in this film that will just highlight a moment where I'm like, oh, that is so great. Just pause it right there. Let me just soak it in. When we talk about, like, how you really feel the pain in the Sammo movie, is like, this is exhibit A. And, like... When we talk about action films, people think that they're a very basic level, which is like, you know, good guy fights bad guy. That's all you need to see to be able to deliver something. Samuel understands that, like, every person of the team has to fight someone different. So, like, Yung Bao will fight this guy, and then um, uh, Samuel will fight this other guy. At the end, they'll come together to defeat this other person. And it works like such a clockwork machine that for films that a lot of people associate with, ah, they just made it up as they go along, show such precision. Which is something that you don't always see in Jackie Chan-directed films. Yes. Uh, although I don't want to sound like we're beating up on him, because I love Jackie Chan. <laughs> I love Jackie Chan, too. Yeah. But I, I prefer Sammo Hung fights for just the way that they're constructed. Oh, we missed uh, talking about a good Jackie Sammo movie from the 80s uh, called Heart of the Dragon. Oh, now, <laughs> this is a movie that... A for effort for trying something different. This was an attempt at a Hong Kong Rain Man. <laughs> where, <laughs> that's actually what it's been described as, uh, where Jackie Chan plays this kind of uh, this scoundrel type. Uh, what is he? Is he? A, it's been ten years since I've seen it. Is he a triad? No, he's actually a police officer. Oh, is he? Well, anyway, that he maybe is an alcoholic or something. Yeah, that's something that Samuel always did with Jackie Chan's characters. That when you usually associate Jackie Chan, you think of the person Jack that's why his name is always yeah. Jackie in his movies but Samo was always trying to undercut that so like in Dragons Forever he's like a womanizer yeah and that's one of the reasons people say the film bombed yeah is that people just want that one image of Jackie Chan but so in this movie yeah he plays this uh, kind of uh, down on his luck cop uh, who has a uh, mentally handicapped younger brother played by Samo Hung in uh, full on like he, he is simple Jack in this film <laughs> yeah. like you have never seen a more ridiculous portrayal <laughs> And what's funny about it is he like he's so absurd, but the movie treats it deadly seriously. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it all climaxes in a amazing <laughs> fight in a construction yard. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna love Samo like we love Samo, <laughs> you kind of have to appreciate that some of the movies are just like ridiculous wild rides through <laughs> you know scenes that don't match. So you, we highly recommend Heart of the Dragon. <laughs> yeah, check it out. That was another one that came out on those Fox DVD releases. Yeah, you remember? Yeah. <laughs> They were like, listen, this is what we're going to do. Eastern Condors, Magnificent Butcher, Iron-Fisted Monk, no, they, Heart of a Dragon. They were like, what are the Jackie Chan movies that nobody else has bought the rights to? <laughs> 
So Samo had a bit of a rocky 90s, I would say. Well, the, the funny thing about Eastern Condors and his other big budget movies like uh, Millionaire Express and Pedicab Driver is they were not big box office successes. Mm-mm. And uh, it's we're hard pressed to figure out a reason. S- some of it had to do with the fact that he had a falling out with Jackie Chan for a while. Mm-hmm. And in the movies where they appeared together, those were the ones that were the big hits. Mm-hmm. And Jackie Chan was easily exportable to other countries and popular around the world in a way that the uh, portly Sammo Hung was not. Yeah, that's a bummer. And I don't, really don't understand why Sammo didn't become more of a star in North America. Was it just the distribute? Because there's such a good hook right there. He's a fat guy that does kung fu. But I think that's, that's all you need. I think that's a bit of uh, the problem in North America because in North America in the 90s, or even now, like it's hard enough to get Americans... To, to see, like, a Chinese guy as a movie star. Uh, but, you know, add the fact that he's, like, 300 pounds to, to the equation. I thought you were going to be like, it's tough for America to see portly fellows in movies. Sometimes <laughs> some break through, like Kevin James. But <laughs> other times... Yeah, and, you know, yeah, I, I also think, like, America has a somewhat limited appetite for kung fu movies as it is. Mm. So, you know, they have they have Jackie Chan, they have Jet Li, you don't need this. Like, this this fat guy is a niche taste. And, you know, for most of us American audiences, it doesn't matter how an action scene is constructed. They're just kicking and punching themselves, and that's all. Yeah, and, and also, like, uh, in fairness, like, Jackie Chan, I think as a screen presence is more naturally accessible than mm-hmm. Sam Hung is. Jackie Chan has this kind of like Chaplin-esque impish quality to him that people just naturally respond to. Well, what would you consider Sam Hung's kind of screen presence? Um, I mean, Sammo's great. I love Sammo. There's a reason he was a star in Hong Kong. I just don't think it's quite Jackie. He's a little bit meaner than Jackie is yeah, yeah, at is. some point. It's funny that one of the reasons they had a conflict is that we don't know the exact reasons. I don't think, does Jackie Chan get into it in his book, I Am Jackie Chan? I think uh, he sort of alludes to it. I mean, basically, Sam Hong was in the film industry earlier. Uh, he worked harder. Uh, he was the big guy at the opera school. But then Jackie Chan became the bigger star. And eventually that's going to strain the relationship. Even on set when Sam <laughs> and Jackie would, you know, be together, Jackie would be known as Big Brother when he would be on set. Mm-hmm. But so would Sammo. So when they would share the set together, um, Sammo would be known as Bigger Brother <laughs> and Jackie would be known as Big Brother. Uh, but yeah, so those three uh, big budget Sammo movies didn't do that well. And basically Sammo just sort of like fell out of favor in in the Hong Kong box office. And it was a, it was a slow slide in the 90s to the point where Don't Give a Damn was basically the end of it. Yeah, and he kind of struggled making all kinds of movies. He made a really good wuxia picture called Blades of Fury. Very good, yeah. But it's just Which nothing was a flop. really caught on. Yeah, um, but after basically after Don't Give a Damn, he reconciled with Jackie Chan. And they made the classic Mr. Nice Guy. Which, to me, has none of the markers of, uh, of a Sammo Hung film. Also... Uh, Sam Hung directed Once Upon a Time in China and America. Which, um, there was a big conflict because Jackie felt that Samuel had stolen his idea of Kung Fu Cowboys that Jackie would later utilize in Shanghai Noon. Yes. But, I mean, even though Sam Hung stole the plot, it was basically a director for hire gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, for almost 20 years, Samo never directed another film. But what happened was he became a very, he did martial law in the U.S. He became a very prolific fight choreographer, mm-hmm. uh, and he had a bit of a comeback as an actor in the 2000s with movies like SPL and uh, It Man 2. He had another chance to just kind of explode back on screen. And he ne- he never left. He was always doing stuff. But like eventually, like fashions came back, and uh, and now and Samo started to become a legendary, beloved figure again. Yeah. Um, 
I it's still a shame that he doesn't have that crossover in North America, but he has such a huge body of work you can revisit. So if you're actually interested in this kind of stuff, go out there, watch Eastern Condors, watch Magnificent Butcher, Knockabout. Warriors uh, 2. Warriors 2. Like, those films are all great. Then give Heart of a Dragon a watch. Yeah. Uh, don't Give a Damn. Pantyhose Hero. Actually, don't watch Don't Give a Damn. That one no, is it, on the weaker it's side. It's bad. Um, but uh, Samo's slow comeback culminated this year with the release of his first self-directed effort since the mid-90s. Known as, in some circles, as My Beloved Bodyguard. Sometimes just The Bodyguard. It was released as The Bodyguard in North America. And this is a movie that I'd been looking forward to for a really long time. Then I heard it wasn't very good. So I watched it a few nights ago, you know, pretty tired, uh, pretty sleepy. And, yeah, you know. It's not a martial arts picture. And it's not very good. No. It's, but it's pretty pleasant. It's fun to see Samo on screen playing such a sympathetic figure. He plays a dementia-stricken martial arts master who uh, comes into um, the responsibility of taking care of this young girl. Mm-hmm. And basically nothing happens for 80 minutes. It's kind of a hangout movie. You're just hanging out with Samo. And you and uh, in the last 10 minutes, he kills like 100 people. Uh, yeah, so the uh, the young girl, her father is like a thief and gets uh, played by um, cl- some clone of Andy Lau because he's in <laughs> hundreds of movies each year. So, <laughs> so you know, runs afoul of gangs and uh, Samo in the movie. Uh, he's not just a martial arts expert. He was like a bodyguard for high level government officials. He has to he has to discover within himself the martial arts mastery that he lost. And there are a couple of scenes at the end where Samo. Uh, you know, Samo, who's now like 64 or something, like he's pretty old uh, and he's pretty big. Yeah. And so there are some scenes where Samo kind of like does a few cursory hand moves and uh, beats up a room full of guys. And like, you know, I-, I would say for a 64 year old guy who's really big, he moves pretty well. I like the idea. But time catches up to every man. Of Samo at this point being, because he's probably bigger than he's ever been, I yeah. feel. That he's kind of presented as, like, a unstoppable force where, like, yeah. one punch will, like, knock a guy straight up into a wall. Like, that's what I like. Because he's not going to move as fast as he did before. Yeah. And no one can expect that, right? Yeah. But I'm glad that Samo has directed another movie. I would love to see... Well, you know, I'd love to see more movies from him, but there is the bittersweet knowledge that we're never going to get another Eastern Condors. I think that if he would just direct it, if he was given more chance to direct, maybe he could deliver another great movie. But maybe My Beloved Bodyguard is an indication that that doesn't really interest him that much anymore. But, but also, like, where are the seven little fortunes of today? Where are the children who who spent 15 hours a day have it being tortured <laughs> so that they become kung fu masters? There's actually a, a pretty good documentary called Red Trousers about the stuntman in Hong oh. Kong. Yeah. And they talk about in that movie that the Peking Opera School still exists, but they just don't transition into the film industry. Because people don't care if people can do real martial arts anymore. Ugh. They just lift them up on wires. It's all pop stars. Ugh. And there you go, right? Ugh, I hate it. It's not right. <laughs> All right, so what are we doing next week, uh, Will? Well, it's the Toronto International Film Festival, which for those of us in Toronto is a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. It clogs up our street. We can't get to work. Yeah, all the, you know, taking up our tax dollars so that <laughs> rich people can have a gala, whereas Ford Nation members like you and I, what do we get from it? <laughs> Nothing. That's what. Yeah. So we're going to be doing an episode that is a complete cash-in. 
Yeah. Just trying to get those clicks. Yeah. We're going to talk about the Toronto Film Festival, our memories, the history of the organization, you know, funny stories of Hank and Dusty and the whole gang. <laughs> so I'm very um, proud to announce that we do have a very special guest on the podcast who actually wrote an article on the Toronto International Film Festival that was award nominated. Oh, yeah. Will Sloan. Yeah. <laughs> Last year, I wrote an oral history of TIFF, um, and I got—I just got a Heritage Toronto Award nomination for it, um, which surprised me because I didn't think the article was that good. But. So I'm gonna have to read that article so I can appear as knowledgeable as you do. Yeah, um, and we're actually gonna watch some movies for next week. So we're gonna watch. Uh, first of all, we're gonna watch a movie that we both saw at its TIFF premiere, probably in the same room. I would. I, I think yeah, so. If you but saw it at midnight. before we knew each other, mm-hmm. um, isn't it incredible? There was a time when we didn't know each other. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it played in the midnight. Madness program, a pretty famous screening, uh, a movie called Martyrs. Ooh, yeah. From the new French extremity, a horror film. And then we're going to turn back the clock. Uh, we're going to watch the baby boomer classic, The Big Chill. We wanted to find a movie that kind of defined film festivals when you think of these kind of movies that. I don't know what word I want to use for it. Middlebrow. Middlebrow, yeah. The ones that win the People's Choice Award and sometimes, most often, go on to win the Oscars. And in fact, I believe The Big Chill did win the People's Choice Award. And mm. The Big Chill was one of those movies that in the 80s helped put the festival on the map. Uh, I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? A long time ago I saw it. Right. So we're going to rediscover it together. Maybe we're going to find a movie that we love. Could be. And um, we'll deepen our knowledge about the Toronto National Film Festival. And if there's one thing I love, it's the baby boom generation. <laughs> All right. So we haven't said this in a long time, but go on iTunes. Oh, yeah. And rate and review us. Also, send us letters. Yeah. At importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. Do you have TIFF memories you want to share? <laughs> <laughs> then maybe we'll read them on the air. Yeah. Um, or if you just want to write about anything. <laughs> just whatever. Yeah. Just send us emails at podcast at gmail.com. And until then, my name's Justin the Clue. I was Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. It's that time of year again, Will. It's time for us to just take two weeks of vacation off our jobs and just watch six movies a day, right? That's what me and you are going to do? That's what we're going to do. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to give up uh, all my benefits, and I'm just going to see movies that will open in two weeks anyway. It's a Toronto International Film Festival. So I'm really excited to see some of the big picks like Snowden. Oh, yeah. Birth of a Nation. Yep. Yeah. Nothing controversial about that. Yeah. Um... You know, separate the artist from the art. <laughs> so for Toronto International Film Festival, which we're going to talk... That, that was like... a joke. Those two were a joke. <laughs> we're not going to see Snowden or Birth of a Nation. Because, yeah, we... I mean, I was never someone who went to Toronto International Film Festival all the time. And we'll talk about this in the next episode. But what are you looking forward to movies that are coming? Because people are buying their tickets and they're like, I need a voice to guide me. And they're me. complaining about it on Twitter. And yes. they're talking about, oh, I can't believe the tickets are 34 bucks. I'll never... Tiff has lost a customer. It's like, no, they haven't. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to buy that you ticket. Find, you're you, going to go see the movie. You know, imagine, imagine if some of these people like refuse to buy tickets they would they would be at their home all day during tiff just watching twitter being like oh wish i bought that ticket anyway i got a 10 ticket package this year so what are you seeing uh I, you know i'm gonna see tony erdman i'm gonna see l by uh the great paul verhoven i'm gonna see the two Werner herzog movies 
Then I'm going to try to branch out a little bit, see some more populist fair. So, yeah. So yeah, Snowden, birth of a nation. <laughs> no, I'm going to see, I'm going to see, I've got a couple of wavelengths that I'm going to see. Okay. Um, the ornithologist. Yeah. You got to do else. that. Right. So like, yeah, people you know, are like, what do you see a tiff? And you're ta- like, you wouldn't know this, yeah. but I, I take my medicine. Uh, I'm going to see that Paul Schrader movie at midnight madness. Uh, doggy dog. Uh, so somebody recommended a movie in Vanguard that I should see. I think it's called the untamed uh i I heard good things uh from somebody on the programming staff okay so i'm not gonna see any of those fancy movies Mm -hmm. i saw like 60 movies last year and i was like never again yeah um so this year i'm just picking very specific ones also i'm poor and i can't afford to go to movies fair enough unlike you 10 ticket pack king over here (laughs) who can just see whatever he wants um uh, I'm going to be seeing uh, Free Fire, the new Ben Wheatley movie. Oh, I think I might be getting a ticket for that. Uh, Doggy yeah. Dog, like you said, the Paul Schrader yeah. picture. I really want to see Colossus, the new movie by Nacho Vigalando, the guy who did Time Crimes, Extraterrestrial. And Open Windows <laughs> with Sasha Gray. Yes, and Headshot, the new um, Indonesian martial arts picture. And I don't know what what else the future may hold. There's a biopic of Bruce Lee at the festival this year. Are you going to see that? No, I'm not going to see that. So, are you going to go to any of the swanky parties? Well, as, as Dusty Cole himself once said, <laughs> and think of the parties. I, this is the thing about TIFF parties, is that, what am I going to say to anyone that I meet? Yeah. I mean, that's a question I ask myself every day when I leave my apartment. Are you going to hang outside the hotel ro- outside the hotels with all the, you know, stargazers look, waiting for George Clooney to come out? I used to be a big autograph hound when I was a kid. When I would go to, like, Fantasia and stuff like that, I'd get my tickets signed all the time. When I was, when I was like, 10 or 11, I used to, like, write celebrities for their autographs <laughs> really yeah big time like which celebrity would you write oh i have roberto benini's autograph <laughs> you do not i swear to christ i do yeah how much do you think it's worth does he say your name he says my name okay yeah. so it completely decreases in value yeah i'm all about like the asian auteurs that come uh, like especially if they're like an action filmmaker so like your uh, kim ji woons who also has a film playing in the festival that i'm really excited for uh, johnny toe i get an autograph from um, and, uh, who, uh, the director of Unkback, oh. <laughs> I assaulted to get his autograph nice. on my DVD of The Protector. Um, and other than that, I haven't gotten an autograph in a long time because at some point I was like, what am I doing? It's stupid. Who am I and, trying to impress? And plus, like nowadays, nobody gets autographs anymore. It's all selfies. Is that what it is? Oh, yeah. 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 I don't think I've ever gotten a selfie with a filmmaker before. I don't think they like it. No? No. <laughs> so if Robert Benini, you met him on the street during I would tape. say, hi, Robert Benini. <laughs> His name's Roberto. Show him a little fucking respect. And would you be like, do you remember me? I Well, I am no longer... A... <laughs> oh, Will Sloan! Hey, mamma mia! I would like to take you to a field and make a love to you. <laughs> Holy shit. He, might, he said that in his Oscar speech. Oh, uh, yeah. did he? But no, I'm, I don't know. I'm not a big uh, Benini head. So. <laughs> I mean, I am no longer as high on uh, Life is Beautiful as I was when I was <laughs> 10 years old. When I thought it was a real triumph of the human spirit. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, it goes in waves and that now you don't like it. But as you grow older and that time is encroaching on you, life will become beautiful once again. <laughs> well, Okay. <laughs> Son of the Pink Panther, I think, has a better chance of making a comeback in my estimation.